I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Julie. Oh my. Hi, my name is Julie and I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, at great expense to John, I'm, all, I'm here all the way from uh, San Leandro, California, which is um, uh, it's uh, southeast of San Francisco. Okay, I'm south of Oakland and east of San Francisco. You know, um, once a burb girl, always a burb girl. Okay. <laughs> So uh, I'm just here to share with you uh, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. That's it. Um, I also want to welcome our newcomers. I'm very impressed that you're here at this time of year. Uh, I'm even more impressed with people who come in in October before Halloween because this is like, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you do. Um, you know, to come in at this time of year is pretty amazing, and I certainly applaud you. And what really impresses me is that you got up here and took a chip and let people hug you. When I came in here, I didn't want anybody acknowledging my existence here. I did not want to get hugged. Uh, the only chips I were interested in were Doritos and, <laughs> you know, just stay, the, just stay the heck away from me. So uh, a couple of quick disclaimers here. Um, I realize that this is um, being taped and um, that I heard a, it, it, on the little form it says, you know, and, you know, that all the stuff you're going to say is like your own and not someone else's. Nothing I'm going to say tonight is my own. It's all what I've heard in these rooms and from you people, okay? So, you know, so there's that. And uh, the other thing is, um, I don't know what the other thing is. Basically, you know, this whole deal's up to my higher power, how long I talk. That's why when they say, what time do you want, I thought, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I'm not going to make stuff up just to make the time, okay? Um, and I'm going to, to the best of my ability, um, try and focus a little bit. One of the first things um, I uh, have here are some pictures, okay? Um, I'm, I was thinking about this thinking, and I was going to say, of course, for you out there who aren't going to see me, I'm approximately uh, 5'9", 115, and uh, stunningly blonde. Um, I, I look 30-ish, though I'm actually turning 51. Um, and none of, of course, no, that's true. I got a big spider bite in the middle of my front lip. And, oh, Lord. Anyway, but you know what? Um, I'm the best Julie I've ever been. So here's pictures of me. The first one is I'm having a spiritual experience looking at a chocolate cake. Um <laughs> A couple of them are, you know, I'm younger, I'm in a costume, that's about the only time I'd let you take a picture of me, because I figured if I was wearing something, you know, kind of different, you know, then I, these are actually pretty weird, um, then you wouldn't notice the 60, 70 extra pounds. Um, and then I got one here where I'm in OA, I'm actually thin, you know, quick, take a picture. You know, it was always the, you know, I'm actually, a, a, I know I'm fat, but I'm, I've got a thin person waiting to get out. That's not true. I have an egomaniacal fat person waiting to get out and who's crazy. And um, anyway, I was on the, I, I didn't know 
that smoking dope and working the 12 steps didn't work that well together. <laughs> so that's what I was doing then. Then I have one where I became anorexic in this program because I thought if I just got thin enough, I would feel like people who worked the steps felt. You know, I would come to the uh, maintainer meeting over here on Ohio Street because I'm from Southern California originally. And I would, and I thought that the people who were maintaining, I didn't know they were anorexic. I thought that was goal weight, you know. And uh, to me, goal weight is my birth weight. And, you know, really. And so I'm shooting for the best I can. And so I had some anorexic pictures and then some pictures where I gained all my weight back in recovery and then a couple of really nice vacation shots that I just like a lot. So here's pictures. That moment of silence was when I gave my pictures away. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to give you the basics. First of all, um, I've been abstaining in Overeaters Anonymous, albeit imperfectly, for 23 years. Okay. And... Um, my top weight was 200 pounds. I don't know. I quit weighing at 189, but I continued to binge out of control for six more weeks. So I say 200 because it's a nice even number. And my bottom weight was 98 pounds in this program. Both. Okay? So uh, since I have 40 minutes, I came in this world an obese baby. Nine pounds, 11 ounces in 1956 was a chunker. And from there, I was literally, I've seen pictures of myself. I was an obese baby. My mother said, well, you just like to eat. And I felt like, yeah. And she would feed me, and I, I looked terrible as a baby. And then as I get a little bit bigger, you know, a little active, you know, a little baton twirling, a little tap dancing, a little, you know, running around the neighborhood. But um, always on the heavy side. Um, I went to school in the elementary school in the 60s where um, the school nurse would come around each room and weigh you in. Uh, the person recording the weight would be in the back of the room. The school nurse would be in the front of the room. you step on the scale. And then they call out your weight across the room. Now, I didn't have to be old to know this was not good. And um, I always had school nurses coming up to me and going, Honey, don't you think you should lose a little weight? And I was like, I didn't know what she meant by that because all my family, you know, um, some families go to the park or they, I don't know what other families do. The way we recreated was we ate ice cream and watched TV. That was our recreation, you know. Um, so I, I didn't get it, but my mother was obese. My whole family, my whole family is, um, not all of them, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some cousins I've met who are normal, but most of us are either, um, overweight or alcoholic, most. Alcoholism has devastated my family, and so is compulsive overeating. And, um, gee, I'm lucky enough to be both. But at that time, I was just one. And, uh, you know, the book says there's a difference between a person who, like, you know, hearty eater and a real compulsive overeater. And I believe I crossed that invisible line when I was 17. Now, I've had remarks all my life from people, you know, you know, this and that, you know, lose a little weight, and you, you know. My first diet was at the age of seven, and uh, then I remember puberty hit, um, and I put on a lot of weight. For some reason, like, for one brief summer, it was like the summer of love, I could eat anything, and I didn't gain weight for, like, oh, a summer I could eat ice cream no guilt but then when I started school um, puberty hit and I gained a lot of weight 
and my school clothes fit. And my mother, who had been uh, made fun of all her life, sought to train me, I guess, the way she'd been trained. She dragged me in on a bathroom scale and basically just yelled at me, yelled and yelled and yelled. And I've been running away from home long before I physically ever ran away from home. And I just remember hearing the noise. And in my head, I was saying, no one is ever going to do this to me again. I will put myself on a diet. I will control my weight. And no one is ever going to humiliate me like this again. So I put myself on a diet, which was starve all day and eat peanut butter and honey sandwiches at night. And it worked. You know, I also have enjoyed the... Um, the uh, barbecued skinless chicken breast and a regular Coke diet. I've enjoyed the um, eat nothing all day except for um, polka gold bubble gum, you know, at night, which is basically straight sugar. And I would lose weight on these self-imposed diets. But then I got to high school, and my diet chart basically looks like the way you want your stock portfolio to go. (laughs) Down, up, down, up, down, up higher. Higher and higher each time. And always, I always would gain weight back and change. Always. And so what happened to me was um, when I hit high school, um, kind of living in the suburbs, pre-protected life, pretty you know, pretty naive, and um, and life happened as life has a way of doing. Um, my father got cancer and died in less than a year. Now, in my family, he was kind of the linchpin that was holding us all together. And when he died, um, he left behind an angry, suicidal teenager, me, and a woman left with an angry, suicidal teenager who didn't know what to do with her, my mother. And it was um, a mess. And I remember sneaking away from his room to go down to the gift shop in the hospital to get York peppermint patties to eat them to try and cope with the feelings. Okay. When he stayed home and I watched him die from cancer, I would, uh, I had my driver's license, so I would go out and I would get all this food and I would bring it home and I would eat it. And he had, because he was going through chemo, all these sweets in the refrigerator, and I would eat those too, cake and candy and stuff. And then, like, my sick, dying of cancer dad would go, and then I'd go and replace it and bring back more, and then I'd eat that too, and my dying of cancer father would go, honey, um, can I have some cake? And I'd have to look at him and say, I'm sorry, Dad, I ate it all. That went on in inventory, you can bet. I mean, I carried that guilt forever. And... um And he died on Christmas morning. And when we got the call, I, you know, before that he died, I did one of these, you know, one of the prayers I think people say from time to time, which is, oh God, I'll do anything you say. I'll give you any, you know, you can, I'll be a nun in South Africa, I'll do whatever you want, my life can be over here, just please don't let my daddy die, please don't kill, you know, don't let him die, and cancer's cancer, and he died on Christmas morning, and I thought, well, F you, God, you know, oh, speaking of F you's, um, uh, you know, I've heard it said that, you know, people who swear 
are conversational cripples, well, sometimes I walk with a limp. So um, if I let a few things fly, I'm sorry. But, you know, that was one of the freedoms I got in this program, actually, is when I came in, I wouldn't have said SHIT had I had a mouthful of it. And in this program, I don't say it as often as I used to, but I still um, frequent with that because sometimes that just expresses how I feel ever so completely. So um, so my dad dies and I die. I, I'm looking for a new daddy. Okay, there's a hole in my gut that I don't know is a God-sized hole that only a God can fill. So I'm looking to fill it with something. So I'm filling it with food and then I'm filling it with boys and then I'm starting to fill it with alcohol and drugs. But this is Zobier's Namas, and I will keep that to my story. You need to know that that was numero uno, okay, above all else. So, okay, let's get this on the road. So what happens is is um, I go to school to major in animal husbandry. I'm going to get me one. I'm going to get me one who's going to take it. You know, and I was like, this is the 70s, right? I claim to be a woman's liver, right? I'm, yeah, pro-women, yeah, I do it on my own. But I'm going to, I'm still living with a, Bud and Betty Anderson head that says, I want a man to take care of me, you know, so I can stay home and I don't know what. But I didn't want to go to work, that's for sure. <laughs> so um, so I go to school and I'm just, you know, I, the way I conducted myself through college was I basically ate, drank, used my way through school. And... Um, the way I studied, the way I did everything was with food. Always, always, always. And then, you know, there's the supermarket thing where you go to different checkers so they don't recognize you. And then, you know, I'm telling lies to perfect strangers, right, as we've all done. We've all lied if you're old enough to a plastic clown, okay, a little box, or you've lied, you know. You know, I, yes, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm a mother of five. I'm, I don't know, I'm a big liar is what I am. And I'm going to eat this as soon as I get home. In fact, I'm not eating it as soon as I get home. I'm eating it as soon as I get in the car. Because I have a bag of groceries for the car, and I have a bag of groceries for the way home. Um, in my, how this affected me in my jobs was, um, oh, yeah, jobs, dating, okay, jobs. All right, I would work in a mall, okay, and um, there was, they had a bakery, and so I would buy whole German chocolate cakes, keep them on the seat beside me. When the light was green, I ate. When it was red, I stopped, or maybe vice versa. Either way, I drove and ate a lot. Um, I would, I don't know, I kept, let me, I say these things, and you might not identify, and if you don't identify, that's okay. There will be another speaker here next week. But I don't know, I kept whole German chocolate cakes in my closet. I kept raw cookie dough in my bed, and I kept a one-pound bag of M&Ms in my purse at all times for those quick energy values. So that's what I did. Um, and I tried to approximate normal, okay? Example, I spent Thanksgiving with some dear friends who aren't compulsive overeaters. So the only thing green was a broccoli salad made with broccoli, cheddar cheese, Ritz crackers, and mayonnaise. Okay? And um, I managed to scrape through and find some green bits to eat. But um, at one point, they had the traditional yam marshmallow thing. Okay? Uh, I guess I should ask if I could mention specific foods at this meeting. Anyway, um, they had this yam thing, right? And they covered it with marshmallows, which in my opinion is the only way to eat a yam thing. Why bother otherwise? So anyway, 
they put it in this big Viking oven they got right, and they're not used to cooking with it. So the next thing you know, foot-long flames are shooting out of the oven under the broiler. They pull it out. The top part is carbonized, but it's still good underneath. And they scraped it off. And I'm like going, I'm like going, and I give it her, it's still good. <laughs> and they didn't even blink. They just kept scraping the black up, and I felt like going, you fools, you fools. You know, you're, you're taking the best part off. You know, you know those things you observe, like at weddings, where people scrape the frosting off of cake, and you think, you want to say, can I have that? You know, but it's just like, what the hell are you doing, you know? I'm walking around downtown San Francisco. I see an entire baby Ruth bar unopened on the ground, and I just think, who the hell would do that? <laughs> I picked it up and took it home. Now, I've got over, at that time, 15 years of continuous absence, and I go to my husband, do you want a baby Ruth bar? And he goes, why? And I go, well, I found it in, in, in San Francisco on the street. And he goes, throw it away. And I'm like going, but it's unopened. You know, I mean, it's just like, okay. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, is, is that deal? All right. So anyway, um, I heard a great thing this morning at the meeting, too. I know I'm jumping around, but he said, just throwing it in the trash is merely saving it for later. <laughs> so, I have to tell you that before I got to Overs Anonymous, the garbage disposal in our house was in literally pristine condition. Pristine condition. Nothing went down the garbage disposal. It all went down us. The only thing that went bad in my house was iceberg lettuce, period. Okay? And, you know, we would eat over the stove, we'd the sink, and those are some of the things I learned to not do in Overs Anonymous, was um, try and eat sitting down, they told me. Don't, as a big car eater, you know, you know where you bite the burrito on one end and it all comes out the other? <laughs> and, you know, I was like out to here, so yeah, there's a nice ramp there for it to hit. And um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I tell you this stuff because uh, we laugh about stuff together that we used to cry about alone. I wasn't telling anybody this stuff when I, you know. And it was in when I came in here and I would see somebody somewhat normal weight, normal weight, and I would think to myself, what's that skinny little SHIT going to tell me? I had a real good attitude when I got here. And um, and uh, then the skinny little person would say, well, I used to weigh 100 pounds more than I do now, and I've been keeping it off for five years, and I would think, you have my attention. But I came in here and I wanted magic. I wanted to, what's the, you know, what do I have to do? What's the magic? So I don't ever have to come here again. I just want to take this program home, work it really good, and never have to, like, visit with you people. And, because um, I didn't want to be here. Over here's the novice doesn't even sound cute. It's not like... You know, other programs. You know, it's just Overeaters Anonymous. You know, it's like in a church. Okay. You know, they always have an interesting color wall somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, and, you, and then they say the 12 steps on the wall, and you look at those and you think, restore us to sanity? You know, turn my life and will over to the care of God? I've spent my whole life avoiding that one. You know, and what are they implying? And, you know, and then make amends. You know, I'm waiting. You know, and then defects of character. I literally, literally did not think I had any when I got here, except maybe a little bit of white lying, and that was just for color. You know, you can't be perfect. So, 
Um, but when I did come to Overeaters Anonymous, it was after flunking out of Weight Watchers five times. It was after going to Schick and paying them like big bucks to electroshock my arm and convince me I don't like certain foods. And they said, put a list of all the things you don't want to eat anymore. And when I gave it to them, they said, we can't do that. That's everything. And I said, all right, well then, you know, how about these, you know? And you know what? There just isn't enough electricity on the grid. <laughs> you know, it didn't work, you know, and I paid that much money, you know, to lose four pounds and, and not keep it up. So, um, so I tried a lot of things. I tried everything I could think of to try. There was one book. I read all the books, you know, The Thinking Woman's Diet or some kind of thing. And at the very end, she says, and when I feel like eating, when I feel like eating, I just visualized like a dead pigeon in the middle of a hoagie sandwich. And I thought, I would simply remove the pigeon, <laughs> pick off the feathers, rinse it off a little bit, and eat the son of a gun anyway. How do I know this? Because my sister, thank you, halfway. My sister gave me a piece of cake one time, this chocolate. And it was on our counter. We get ant- we used to get ants every summer. And I came, and those little bastards had crawled all over it. And I thought, I'll be damned if I'm letting this go. So I stuck it in the freezer <laughs> to kill them. And then took it out, picked off what I could see. And you got to remember, in some cultures, insects are protein. <laughs> so I did not feel remiss in eating it anyway. I mean, come on, man. You would have too, though. So, so um, okay, so that gives you some, you know, and if you, like I say, if you don't identify with me, come back next week. Um, so anyway, that's what I used to do. I couldn't throw up. I would have thrown up if I could have. I just couldn't. Believe me, it crossed my mind. Exercise never crossed my mind. It still never crosses my mind. I'd really rather stick hot needles in my eyes. But then exercise, but I do it today to keep from killing people. So I got to Ovirzinomis the first time after having gone to Africa and obtaining dysentery, which was an excellent weight loss program, until I got back to civilization. And, you know, in the Sahara, there isn't much. Let me tell you, there was nobody more dangerous on that tour than me. I'm having taco fantasies. I'm having all kinds of just... And when I get back, you know, and uh, I maintained, so I maintained my weight for a brief period, but I knew it was only a matter of time until I shot back up again. So I came to Overeaters Anonymous knowing there was nothing else left to try, and I, I really didn't want to come. And, you know, when you call the operator and you don't want to ask, at that time you called the operator and you actually got an operator, and I didn't want the operator to know I had a problem, so I waited till January and Monday. That's the only time to start anything, January, Monday. So I came to OA, and they said, we start today. We start now. We don't start tomorrow. So I came the first time, and uh, I did okay for a while, but then I ran into a problem that I didn't know existed, which was um, if you're with people who drink and you have lunch at noon, don't, don't count on them wanting to eat anytime soon. So I went to potluck, and I said, started at 6, so I had lunch at noon. And when you've only had a little baggie of grapes, four ounces of chicken and a cup of carrots, by 6 o'clock, you're ready. <laughs> no food. 7, no food. 8 o'clock, I wanted to grab the hostess by the lapels and say, well, in fact, I did. I went right up to her in her face and said, can I help you put out the food? You know, and she said, yeah, Okay. So I had four abstinent meals in a row, 
And then um, after it was over, I came back to a stranger's house to get my dish, went in the refrigerator, got some cheese. Their dog is growling at me. It's dark, you know. I am basically a burglar. And I'm taking the dog going, knock it off. You know, I'm just getting some cheese for the road here on the ride home. And, uh, again, I went all the way back up to my top weight. took me another year to come back to Overeaters Anonymous. And this time I came back. And I was ready because by this time I'm not bathing. I'm like Queen Elizabeth. I don't take makeup off. I just put more layers on on top of the layer that's already there. My hair is stuffed up under a greasy hat because um, when I was overweight, I just bathing was uh, too much. I'm too busy. Uh, I don't have time to clean my house. I don't go to work. I don't do nothing but eat. I eat and I pass out and I eat more. That's the way I eat. I eat out of garbage cans. I eat till I pass out and I eat more. I don't eat till I'm full. I eat till it's gone. I eat till I can't bend in the middle. I eat till I'm in physical, physical pain. And that's how I eat. And so I came in this time and I was a little more ready to hear what you people had to say. And all I could do is sit in the back and cry and watch the tears hit the tops of my shoes. And so eventually, you know, I got the literature. I read it. You know, I got a Dignity of Choice pamphlet. I got a sponsor and I started calling in my food. Now, I wasn't telling her about the men in my life. I wasn't telling her about the drugs. But I was telling her I was having two eggs and an orange for breakfast, four ounces of this, some carrots and an apple for lunch. And, by the way, um, it is not abnormal to have the same breakfast for over ten years in this program. Some of you may vary, but most people I know, you know, same breakfast every morning. And so, anyway... I started losing weight, and somehow I got lost. I mean, the big book's in English, but I couldn't follow it. It's for drunks anyway, I thought. And I couldn't follow it. Uh, I got to the first three steps like this. Step one, I admit I'm fat. Step two, I think this group can help me. Step three, if I have to turn my life and will over to the care of God, whom I cannot stand, I will do so alone in my room and I did it gripping the arms of an armchair, just like, oh, this is so humiliating, but I'll do it if it'll help me lose weight. And so I said, okay. And that helped for a while. I abstained for a year and a half, but I got down to 98 pounds because I kept, if you lose enough weight, there's always that little, you step on the scale, it's like, ta-da. Well, then what do you do when there's no more ta-da's and you're at your goal weight? And... I was thin for the first time in my life, damn it, and you can't tell me any different. So I got down to 98. I quit having a period. I couldn't go up a flight of stairs. I was wearing thermal underwear in Southern California here in the wintertime, I mean in the summertime. I was cold all the time. And I looked like hell, but I was thin, so get the F away from me, okay? And what happened was is I began compulsively overeating at an away retreat because I had no effective mental defense against that first compulsive bite. Hadn't trusted God, didn't clean house, was working with others, may God have mercy on my soul. And um, I began compulsively overeating at an OA retreat with Natalie, who's like one of the most wonderful people I know in this program, or doing this program, I haven't seen her in a while. But um, anyway... So uh, I began compulsively overeating because I had no effective mental defense. I made the other retreatants a little nervous. But when you're 98 and go up to 110, most people are just happy you're not going to die that week. Okay. Problem is, is I went from 98 to 200 in less than three months. I did this during June, July, and August in Southern California, and I was working in an amusement park. So I went in one day. I was wearing a size 4 uniform. I went in the next day. I skipped 8, went to 10. 
Um, next day I had a 12. Next day I had a 14. I went up to the highest size they had, and then I couldn't get any bigger, so I had to just wear my black sweater on in 100-degree heat with his back zipped down the uniform. And everybody just looked at me like, what the H happened to you? But I've seen that look before, you know? I've seen that look before. And I felt like, you know, I think I helped a lot of people because I continued to go to me. So it was the only time I wouldn't eat. It's the only time I came up for air. And what happened to me in two and a half years was um, I got another sponsor who was out of a mental institution, and we were a match made in heaven. And um, I abstained that Thanksgiving because I literally, you want to abstain for Thanksgiving? Sit directly across the table from your sponsor, and you will not eat. It was me, her, and Rod Serling on the TV, and I'm just like shaking off a sugar, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm right there in that twilight zone. So then I got another sponsor who had what I wanted. She had five years and an 80-pound weight loss. And with her, I began working steps. And I began saying yes instead of no. And I was willing to do what she said because I knew that my best ideas got me to 200 pounds. And I was out of bright ideas. And uh, I was willing to do what she said. So she said, you know, um, you read the big book, you know, you work the steps, you abstain. And what I do today is, a lot of, like what I did then. I eat three meals a day. I weigh and measure. Um, I eat nothing in between most of, t- most of the time unless it's like an eight-hour gap in between meals and then I take the fruit from there and I put it in the middle. So, um, and uh, I work with others. Um, so, with a power greener than myself, I had to act as if... How much time have I got? Uh, By the way. Two more five. Okay. So, um... I've told you what the disease does to me. I'm going to tell you what the the program has done for me now in a good chunk of the last minute of time. Okay. Here's what the program's done for me. I started bathing regularly. This was good. Um, I started showing up. I had a bad habit of not showing up. I'd rather stay home and eat instead or I'd stay home to get over what I just ate. And so I started showing up. I showed up at work, whether I wanted to or not, whether I felt like it or not. She said, this is not a program of what we feel like doing. She said, and the big freedom in this program is you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. But you don't have to like it while you're doing it. And that's such a relief that you don't have to have a perky good attitude all the time. You know, because I'm not a perky good attitude kind of gal, frankly. And uh, I was really happy to hear that. In fact, people would not sit by me in meetings. Um, Number one, because I didn't smell so good. And number two, uh, because um, hate was just radiating out of my body. I didn't realize that for all the time that I ate, I was shoving down anger and anger and anger and anger. And when it started coming out, it was scary. Because in my house, if you were angry, you were unlovable. And it was really scary stuff. But um, So I started coming to meetings. She put up with me. There, was a, there were days when I had to go to four meetings in a day to keep from eating. There were days when I literally had to be in the presence, eyeball to eyeball, of my sponsor to keep from eating. There was one of those. Um, but what, what I got was um, a power greater than myself. You know, I was at a meeting one time in Lakewood, and there was this young woman there who was obviously developmentally disabled. And she said, I went to one weight loss program, and they promised me if I lost weight, I'd get a charm bracelet. And I've come here, and you guys told me if, I've, if I um, do this stuff and lose weight, I'll get a God. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So um, 
what this program's done is it's given me a power greater than myself, a higher power, that, a power which, what the book says, whole purpose of this program is to give me something which will solve my problem. And it's got to be a power greater than me, because if I had any power, do you think I'd be here? Hell no. Okay, even though this is a life beyond my wildest dreams, okay, I've got lots of friends. i got good friends. And I've got a good life. And I can look at myself in the mirror today, and I don't hate what I see. And I don't entertain suicide as an option anymore for solving my life problems. Today, when I think suicide's a good idea, I realize I've snapped my tether, but that that's not the option, okay? Um, and I've been given a power greater than myself, which has come slowly. I was pretty sure, number one, I had big resentment towards God. But once, you know, you do the writing. I, and when I did my fifth step, I really, you, ever, you know, I know you guys have seen, um, uh, probably some of you have seen Frankenstein, the original, where, you know, the townspeople are coming with the flames and, you know, the bended you know, the pitchforks. I thought when I did my fifth step, that's what would be coming down the street, <laughs> literally. Okay, and believe me, I've robbed no banks. Okay, I'm not, I've murdered no one that I know of. But, you know, it was the smarmy stuff I did. It was that I haven't read Dante, but I've heard about him. And one of the things he says in the lowest level of hell <laughs> is, you know, Judas and... Who's the guy that stabbed Caesar? Anyway. Cassius. Uh-huh. Anyway, those two guys. Why? Because it's considered to be the lowest of the low to betray those you love. And I thought, that's me, and that's where I belong. And what a paragraph that myself has done for me has let me know that that's not where I belong. I couldn't, it, I, this is not a pull yourself up by your bootstrap program, because I couldn't, I didn't have bootstraps when I got here. They were gone. All right. I think if I tell you what's happened, then that'll explain it better. Because it's like, how do you explain God? You don't. Okay. Here's what's happened. I've been able to hold down jobs. They've actually given me the keys. Now I was one of these people that stole from the rich and kept it. Um, (laughs) My job being the rich. And uh, what I've had to do is repay back. And today when I take stuff, it's markers, pencils, and I end up paying them back anyway. So I stopped stealing big things. And I'm working on the little ones. Um, People will let me hold their babies today. I don't hide today. I can look at the mail today. I answer the phone today. Um, I can cross my legs today. I wear underwear today. Um, My husband, I looked at men like food, more is better. And um, today I've been married for... I've been together with this guy for 25 years, and I've been married for about 18, and I have not cheated on him once. This is a big deal. Um, In my academia, I didn't take a diploma when I first graduated from college because I was so ashamed of my academic department. I lied, cheated, and and that was with a ceramics degree, folks, so you know. I mean, God, all right? I'm cheating there, all right? So one of the things, and every June, you know, my stomach would turn when I'd hear the da 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 da. Oh, just crap. So anyway, uh, I went back and I got a master's degree, and today I'm uh, 
and something I never wanted to be, which is a teacher. I teach art to adults with disabilities. I'm also a working artist, but which means I make no money. But, you know, uh, I love my job. And me and those guys get along great. If you sponsor people, you can work with the disabled. Trust me. (laughs) And I mean that is no disrespect because I be one. Okay? You know, I work with people who have trouble facing reality. I have trouble facing reality. I work with people who have trouble with regulating their medication. My food was my medication, and I certainly have trouble, you know, regulating it from time to time. Um... But they're also a community of people, and they help each other. And we're a community of people, and we help each other. First, because our life depends on it, and if we don't, we're screwed. And second, because we come to love it. We come to like it, and we come to love it. I've come to like it, and I've come to love it. Um, five or one? One. Five? One? Good. Okay, cool. Um, one minute. All right. What's been... A normal body is all I wanted when I got in here. And what I've been given is a normal body. And for this selfish, self-centered, narrow, you know, dinged-out, compulsive overeater, I've been given a whole lot more. Um, I'm able to... Uh, I'll say this and shut up. Um... My husband and I are both the respective black sheep in our family. We are the ones in 12-step programs. And um, we are the ones who took care of my mother with Alzheimer's for five and a half years. And she died in our home with our hands on her and not in a nursing home where she didn't want to go. Okay, That was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I was able to do it because of this program and sponsors and a higher power in these 12 steps and sponsees. When my husband got cancer, I was able to go through that without eating because of this program and a higher power and steps and a sponsor. And I get through just okay days. And I too was at the Midnight Mission uh, supporting friends who lost a baby. And... To be honest with you, when I was standing there in line watching the celebrities and then watching the people and looking at both, I remember thinking, I'm here for my friends. I'm grateful this is not where I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner. And God damn it, I get to get to an OA marathon pretty quick here. You know, um, what I'm real clear about is this program enables me to have a life. But I am a compulsive overeater. I have a terminal illness, and I need to take care of myself first and foremost. And then I can be there for other people. So um, I'd like to wrap this up with some really cool thing, but, I, you know, um, I think the fact that I can stand up here. I wear stretch pants today, but it's because I want to. <laughs> so um, that's the best thing I can think of right there. So I want to thank you um, for the honor and the privilege of being allowed to share with you. Um, I am... I'm nobody unique. I'm special in the eyes of my higher power. And I'm loved. But I'm no different. And I used to sit out there and think, how the hell do I ever get abstinent again? Speakers are different than other people. God likes them best. 
A higher power does not. I'll end with this. A higher power does not help those who help themselves. A higher power helps those who ask. So thank you. Thank you.